0: Welcome to Epar Trade Live. Uh, this is our first uh, tech webinar. We we'll plan several more in the future. Uh, this one is how to optimize ring seal to improve engine performance, with Lake Speed Jr., Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Total Seal Piston Rings, and noted race engine builder John Kazi. I'm John Kilroy. I'm Chief of Content and Audience Development for Epar Trade. I just want to go through a couple of quick housekeeping tips before we get onto the content. So just so you know, all webinar uh, attendees will be on mute the entire time uh, because we want to proceed without distractions or interruptions. Uh, we recommend switching to speaker view on Zoom. And uh, we want to get your questions. So when I talk to Luke about this, he really wants to answer your specific questions. We have some very knowledgeable people in the room with us today, uh, race engine builders. So the questions can be quite sophisticated. Uh, at the bottom of your Zoom uh, screen, there's an option for chat. So you can open up chat, you can type in your question and send it along and we'll have a record of your questions and that's kind of what we'll use for this webinar. So um, we can take your questions right now. So while we're waiting, if you have a burning question that you came to this room for, just open up chat, send us a question and we'll get to it later on. Um, unfortunately, if any of you are having trouble with Zoom, it's not quite perfect right this minute, Uh, We just won't be able to handle your technical issues, so we'll just do the best we can today. Um, uh, This webinar will be recorded. We want to share it with people in the future, so just be aware of that. And then uh, for all of you attending live, uh, you'll get an email with a link so that you can watch the video later or share it with uh, people in the shop. And then uh, for those of you not registered, we'll send you kind of a complimentary password. So you'll get an email with the link to the video password so you can get onto it with uh, with ease. All right? And then uh, just a quick note on trade and for those of you who maybe haven't gone on and and clicked around to find out what we're doing, it's a robust digital platform for sourcing products or suppliers in racing. You can use it 24 seven from wherever you are. You can shop the world because it's truly a global shopping experience. The internet has no borders. So um, this is a, a place to go and hang out online to figure out how to solve some of your issues, your technical issues in racing, and get the solutions really quickly. Get a bunch of options. There's no charge uh, for buyers to use E4Trade. I encourage you to register and click through it and find out what we're doing. New products every day, popular products every day, technical papers, technical videos, racing industry news. It's just a great place to hang out. Start your mornings, your morning cup of coffee. And then, uh, We've got 25,000 racing organizations uh, as part of ePAR trade, suppliers around the world, uh, racing businesses around the world, race teams around the world. We've essentially taken the global racing industry and put it all online for you, 25,000 racing organizations at your fingertips. Uh, It's only for sourcing products. It's not an e-commerce site. But we're not in competition with uh, speed shops or race engine businesses. Or warehouse distributors, or anybody like that. And our smart smart sourcing software is intended to make it more convenient, give you more options, and give you quicker access to solutions. All right, that's the ePart Trade commercial. Thank you. Um, uh, w- one of the great things about being part of ePart Trade, and then I was the editor of PRI magazine for years, is that we have a vantage point where we're watching the whole industry at once. And our two speakers here. It's just remarkable to have them with us. Uh, Lake Speed is second generation in, in racing. His father was a great racer. And, and Lake, right away when he came into the industry, just popped up here, there, and everywhere. And he had a very creative way of, of going forward and spreading his message. And, and now he's with an iconic company, uh, Total Seal. So it, it's really neat to have Lake here uh, doing this webinar uh, with us for the first time. And then uh, John Cosby, He uh, is another person when I I finally became aware of John, and he's won uh, numerous, his engines have won numerous uh, pro stock uh, championship titles in uh, IHRA and NHRA, and uh, his team has won the the Masters Engine Builder Challenge many times. But the thing about uh, John is that he takes time to share his insights and his experience with the industry. And I always think it's really valuable for just not just veteran engine builders to hear from someone like John, but I love the idea of of somebody new in the race engine business that's come on board. They have a lot of questions, kind of what to do and how to do it. And then there's somebody like John, who's given kind of world famous presentations at the AETC at the PRI show, uh, sharing his uh, wisdom and insights. So with Lake and with John, we have real industry leaders and we're proud to have them on board. And now I'll hand the um, program over to you, Lake. Take it away.
1: Thank you, John. I appreciate the uh, inter- very kind in- introduction. You know, uh, like you said, it's kind of popped on the scene here in, in the aftermarket. But really, if you ask like, a guy like Ron Shaver, who's a good friend of mine, I just kind of barge in the door. Uh, you know, uh, I was with my dad this past weekend. Dad's 72 years old. He's still go-kart racing. We went up and did some vintage go-kart racing, and, you know, really what's interesting is people know my dad, you know, as a NASCAR driver, or maybe some people know him as the only American to ever win the World Go-Karting Championship, which he beat a guy named Ayrton Senna in 1978 for that, and we're still really proud of dad for, for doing that, but dad's really an engine builder at heart. The the old nascar shop where we built our own engines and built our own cars we still have it and the engine shop is still there and then what used to be the um Superflow dino cell is now a go-kart engine dino cell and we still have the build rooms and that's where you could probably find my dad probably right about now he's probably over there working on a little two-cycle motor so he's got that mentality so people look at me as a more of a second generation, you know, driver. And I'm not a very good driver. I can tell you for a fact this past weekend, I got my butt kicked. Yeah. I, it's I, I, a good dose of humble pie for me this past weekend going racing up at uh, Mark Dismore's track uh, in Newcastle, Indiana. And yeah, I finished third and I wasn't even close to the first two. And it's just a big dose of humble pies. Why I'm not a race car driver, <laughs> you know, is that, Uh, why I decided to get into the on the race team side worked at Melling for a long time before going to work at Joe Gibbs Racing and you know getting involved in the engine program there you know specifically being on the oil side and that's of course my background is you know tribology and that and using that as kind of a platform to really go after what has always been my real interest is engines and that's where you know my experience at Driven and working with Joe Gibbs. That's what led me into contact uh, with Mr. Kazi. He uh, was a great customer and a great friend and, and has helped us out tremendously. So very excited about being able to be here today with John and be able to answer questions from the crowd which I already see we have a, a ton of them already. So uh, with that I'll kind of hand it over to John and let him maybe say a few words and then I guess, John, whenever you're ready, we can kind of jump into some of these questions, I guess, because we got a bunch of them already.
2: Okay, well, good. You know, I when you asked me to do this, I really didn't have any idea what we were going to be talking about, but uh, I figured maybe since it had something to do with you being at Total Sale, we would get into some ring stuff, but um, I'm probably not one of the, the people that just spend endless hours with, with piston rings and seals and stuff like that, but we, we do pay attention to what's important. Um, I think probably everybody listening knows my story that I've been doing this for 52 years and, and, uh, you know, the way I ended up where I'm really at the big change for me was when I went to work for Don Nicholson in 1977, because it opened up a lot of doors and I got to knowing a tremendous amount of people in the industry. So, you know, if it wasn't for that kind man that I learned a lot of stuff from my life would have probably been a lot different, but, uh but we're here every day, you know, we've grown into a shop with 10 employees and, and uh, we're trying to survive this uh, latest little hiccup in the road here in the economy, but we're every, all my guys have really banded together and really done good. And uh, so I think we're, I think we're pretty solid and we're ready to, to go on and do whatever we do. You know, we, we've spread out a little bit and we do different kinds of stuff than we used to. At one time it was all drag racing. Today it's, there's, there's a bunch of different things. There's a lot of marine stuff, and there's uh, a couple other projects we're working on that aren't really done that we've got NDA, so I can't really talk about them. but we've got a lot going on. So um, hopefully uh, everything will work out. And uh, yeah. other guys that are in this business will also stay in business.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. The, it, the industry needs everybody. You know, no one can yeah. be.
2: Yeah, uh, we want competition. Every,
1: everything to everybody, right? And competition does make us better. There's no doubt That's about right. it. Got me mm-hmm. get my butt kicked at go kart racing this past weekend. I'm mounted and determined to go get some more practice for ne- next time I go because I don't want to run third again.
2: No, nope, you're right. Yep.
1: Well, I will say this for everybody watching: if you want to know a little more of John's background and history, you should check out the Hidden Horsepower podcast. John was a guest on that podcast not long ago, and yep. you're, you're able to spend a lot more time on the Podcast really telling about your background and your story and how you got in the industry. So, for anybody's interested in John's backstory, it is fascinating. Hidden Horsepower is the name of the podcast, Apple, uh, iTunes, podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that stuff. You know, so it's all there. anybody's interested. So, um, let's just go ahead and get into answering the questions. And we've got, you know, probably about 45 minutes left uh, in this session. And I already see there's several questions on the side, so um, I'm trying to get over here and see, so forgive me if I'm not looking at the camera, I'm looking over here, I'm looking at the chat, so I can try to answer some of these questions. Looks like the first one was from uh, Michael, Uh, with gapless second rings, do you typically finish hone with a ball or a brush?
2: And and you're uh, you're asking me that? Well, that was a question for
1: both of us, John.
2: Uh, Yeah, I know. Um, Well, we we normally, we we really just don't do a gapless second. You know, sometimes we'll do the top. Um, Mm -hmm. And and with that, it it would probably, I would guess a gapless ring would be a steel ring. And, um, you know, we normally just finish with the regular stones. We don't use any, too many diamonds here, but... um, I've seen people use ball hones when they got done. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it it can make it look like hell, but it works good. But we haven't really had the nerve to do that much. Um, I've heard of people doing it. I've known people that did it and they said it worked good. Um, but we don't, um, but we do use the gapless top rings on some stuff. And I almost feel like on the ones that we used it on the lower compression engines were the ones that liked them the most. But yeah. uh, you know, like nine to one stuff or something, or some kind of compression limit. But uh, uh, as far as the finish, we wouldn't do anything different on those than we would for the same kind of ring if it was if it was just a regular flat ring. So if yeah, it was,
1: I, I agree that yeah, there's no reason to to finish different for gapless versus not. Now I will say, uh, our buddy Keith Jones, uh, he has a very um, strong opinion regarding brushes versus balls, he's a big ball hone guy. He, he likes the idea of a ball hone. He likes reversing the rotation, like if you go down one direction okay. and then reverse it back the other direction. Uh, the theory being that flips you know, the ball brush is only moving one way, so it yeah. bends the peaks over, whereas if it's the reverse with the ball, it goes both ways, it'll break the peak off. That way you get that good plateau, as opposed to that peak i know our our buddy uh, a common friend ron shaver they run gapless seconds with their sprint car motors
2: wow and okay
1: they've been doing it for a long time they just kind of like a gapless second for the methanol motors and with an aluminum block with that sleeved, they don't Brush or ball, they just finish with stones like you, but with a iron block, like I say a 360, they will come back and and finish with a brush. They 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 they'll, they'll yeah, I think a 400 okay. brush is what they finish with and then go. So hopefully that answers uh, Michael's question. Uh, again, Keith would say don't use the the brush, use a ball. And, and okay. that way
2: well it, it could be they, they do the iron blocks because you know any aluminum block is going to use a ductile sleeve and those things are a lot different than a iron block would be as far as the material
1: yeah so a little I, bit harder I, I, yeah so kind of a tangent to that question I know you do a lot of things with that are both you know uh, aluminum blocks where you're running the the sleeves as well as uh, iron blocks why don't you speak to that a little bit about if you if you don't mind about the, those differences in material and how you have to accommodate for that because I think that's more of a bigger difference not so much the type of ring that you're using is yeah the
2: material yeah well it seems like on the on the ductile iron sleeves which would be any even iron block you might put a ductile iron sleeve in if you were going to repair it right and um, yeah they're a little bit tougher. Um, you have to be more careful with like if you put a stone in there and you're you're going up and down with it and all of a sudden it's gone 20 strokes or so it might it'll it's done cutting you'd probably have to take it out and rub them together or do something because they'll you know if the stone isn't just perfect for what that material wanted uh it won't it won't stay uh it'll burnish over or something they'll do something bad up, yeah. you know so we'll flip them around and um and there's some stones that are real soft that won't uh the, the kind that they go away as fast as you can feed it you know with your hand you know and they're not like that but you have to have a whole box of them to do one block you know but uh you know the the ductile iron thing will probably get you in trouble quicker than a, than a regular passenger car block would you know if, if you if you hone it too long with the same grit stone and um you don't have the valleys just right and stuff in the finish it'll it kind of will turn black on you, and it won't be very good when you crank it up. It'll be oiling and doing all kinds of bad things. You know, you got to have fresh, fresh stones on it. Um, that I, I guess what I'm saying is, if you if you take some of those stones and go up and down like ten or twenty strokes, it, all of a sudden it'll start to turn darker and darker and darker. You know, and you can almost hear it. You know, okay. it, it's got a swishing sound when it's cutting. And then all of a sudden that sound goes away, you know, and it starts getting darker. That's not gonna be a happy finish when you get done.
1: Yeah. I, obviously the, the different materials when you have the harder, you know, ductile material, it, it's gonna well, be And, and
2: we time. don't we don't do too many passenger car type engines here anymore. The one that the one that I'd almost welcome some input on is some of those blocks that are spray. It's like a spray iron on them. So the Coyote Fords are like that, and the, mm-hmm. the I think they do it under license from Nissan, and the Nissan GTR engines are that way. And it's not really Nicosil. it's a spray-on uh, a plasma. Some I don't know what it is, but uh, it's it's fairly good, and you can hone it with a stone. But we're not really quite up to speed on those, like I'd like to be.
1: Well, that's that, that will jump us down to the fourth question. So we'll we'll kind of jump out of order there real quick. Because uh, Andy uh, Rivard asks, with advances in cylinder coatings and liners such as Sumabore uh, that have minimal crosshatch and grip on the surface finish, how does, how does it affect ring rotation and ring life in a streetcar motor? I'm currently running a Porsche flat six with Sumabore and some total sealed rings as a trial. And I think that's kind of what you were just saying is that, you know, that those coatings like sumo bore, it's not nicosil it, it it's not alucil it, it's pretty new stuff and while it's been used in very high levels of motorsports formula one nascar things like that yeah. the rest of us the real world doesn't have a whole lot of experience with it in the real no, world
2: i've never even seen it myself so i'm learning along with everybody else here but the sumo bore thing um I know that some of those start to get where they they're pretty they're pretty shiny and they don't have much in the way of crosshatch and stuff. Sometimes a Nicosil end up that way, but right. um, the sumabore I'm not really sure how you finish that.
1: So I um, I don't know either. I mean I mean I know that you don't finish sumabore the same way you finish even a compacted graphite block or Nicosil right. or something like that. Uh, well, essentially, you're going for a mirror mirror type finish without crosshatch is what you're going for. And obviously yeah. I think the guys that like Rottler and and they have the guidance because they've obviously worked with the OEMs on what the right uh, abrasives, the right coolants are in order to ach- achieve that finish. One thing I can show, I brought my, my little handy dandy whiteboard. So if anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about in terms of assume bore, and what we're talking about, we're talking about a plasma spray bore. So, you know, normal crosshatch, you know, angle we can do like this. The you know, cylinder bore is going to have peaks and valleys on it. And obviously, with the with abrasive, you're going to cut it, and you're going to leave those peaks and valleys. And the crosshatch, you know, is going to you know create those valleys that hold the oil. as part of the whole process. The difference with suma bore being a spray bore is imagine. As opposed to cutting it with an, you know, or having a metal bore, you're actually spraying little bitty droplets. I'm trying to think. I see you probably can't see it. You're spraying small droplets of iron that are mixed with molly, And I know I'm drawing this way too small for anybody to possibly see it. But all those little droplets, if you imagine, say a whole bunch of small ball bearings piled together, there's gonna be gaps between those bearings, between those balls. And the idea of how you come in and finish that is you're gonna come in and try to remove just the peaks of those. And by doing that, you expose the gaps in between. So whereas with a normal hone job on a conventional, you know, Iron or ductile iron bore, you've got these valleys from the abrasive that hold the oil. Now you have these gaps, and that's what you know. It it, it, those voids that hold it. So that that's what creates that real difference in effect. So uh, Andy, I I know actually I know Andy pretty well. So we're actually looking forward to doing that project and seeing what what actually comes out of that. So. not sure if anybody else had any questions about suma bore and what these mirror finishes are and why you would do that but that's really the unique nature of that is that you have these that isotropic effect, uh, effect because the it's really a random pattern when you when you look at those bores that to have those pockets that hold the oil and you know as a tribologist and oil guy this is my opportunity to say You know why this is important and how oil relates to ring seal is that my personal opinion and experience with oil as it relates to ring seal is oil is the gasket that basically goes between the cylinder ball wall and the piston ring between the ring and the piston ring groove now you wouldn't take a, a head and bolt it onto a block and expect it to seal up without putting a head gasket on it right oil is the same thing it's going to act as the gasket the surface tension of the oil is forming that gasket and those valleys those holes that's what retains and holds the oil to allow it to seal up that's one thing we learned at, at gibbs i'm not sure john if it was supposed to have been probably 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. We got into the trying to do the super smooth, like mirror bore finish, and it didn't work worth a flip for us. Blow by went up, we would burn rings out. I mean, oh, yeah, it was super smooth in the profilometer, you know, but it wouldn't seal up well. And we had to change what we were doing with oil to try to make it work. And then we kind of had that light bulb moment one day. They're like, "There's no valley to hold the oil. That's why we're struggling." Yeah. And then when we put some more valley to it and went back to the regular oil, and psh, worked perfect. Never looked well, back.
2: The stuff you're calling Suma bore, though, um, that's that's not what the Ford and the Nissan is, is it?
1: Well, they're all the same. I think sumo bore is a brand. It's not. Okay. They're all they that spray bore where they're you know spray but it's almost
2: it's material. almost like iron it's yes uh, it, it's a little bit like iron it's nothing close to nicosil no it's,
1: not it, any... it's an iron and uh molybdenum
2: mixture okay. alloy.
1: well I, you know. did,
2: I, I thought all the cup cars were using that for a while or were they
1: well some of them are um so like so a, nicosil, on an
2: iron block it's better than the parent material
1: yes it's very low friction um now, the trick is it's very much like Nicosil in that it's so hard, it doesn't really wear. So Enjoy. if you have board distortion as the block seasons in, you're pretty much stuck with whatever you have. Enjoy. So the block has to be either pre-seasoned where it's already settled or um, it's just that. Well, the, structurally made, you know, good that it's not going to move around on you over time. The, and the, I know some engines where the the engine block itself is a stress member in the car, that can be a challenge. But yeah, a lot of the Cup guys that have figured out how to season the block and do all that, yeah. it works really well.
2: Well, the um, the V six Nissan, we we don't do the whole engines, but there's a group here in Atlanta we do the heads and short blocks for. A lot of GTR, they're all the same. It's all GTR. I don't remember what they call them, 38 or something. But uh, you know, they have that on the boards, and a lot of those blocks are used when we work on them, and we don't hone them or anything. You know, they just they just put put new rings in them put them together. They they prefer we didn't hone them, um, although we probably could. But they, I've never seen one wear. I've never seen one that you could you could feel a ridge or anything. You know, at the top of the ring traveler, you know, they're. Um, it's exceptional stuff. if, yeah. if you I figure said, it out, Sumabore,
1: <laughs> it is a brand. Uh, Sulzer Metco was the company that that invented okay. that and, and and you know called it Suma But I'm pretty sure it's the same process, the same type that spray bore process is what Mercedes is using. Uh, BMW has it. Like I said, Nissan has it. Uh, the new Coyote. Right board they have it so it's it's getting out there so it's something we're all gonna have to to learn about
2: okay, okay. well probably it's that's, that's probably it's even over my head a little bit we don't do much with it so um I, i'd say most people listen and aren't really interested <laughs> in it um because yeah. we're not they're not going to get to that point because we don't do anything with it here other than what comes in in, a, in the nissan
0: Uh, Blake and John, uh, I just have kind of a a bigger question to to throw at you, and we're getting questions, so thank you very much. Again, uh, open up your chat option and send us a question, but just um, in general, um, is there some mistake that you see race engine builders making over and over again right now, or some race engine builders, when it comes to piston rings? Is there anything where you'd like to take this opportunity to say, just stop doing that, and you won't have any more problems?
2: Probably too fine, you know. It seems like if you're a little bit on the coarse side, uh, you'll it'll forgive you. Still, um, if it's if it's if it's way too smooth, uh, especially if it's a hard sleeve, um, it usually won't end well for you. You know, um, we have people sometimes they they'll say, "Well, we just rebuilt this motor," and it, it might be just a local shop or something. But they'll, they'll call us and say, "We rebuilt this motor," and It's oil and it's, it's, you know, it's almost smoking. It's oily. And every time they'll say, oh, the intake manifold's leaking. You know? I mean, (laughs) and I can tell you, if the manifold's leaking, it's going to idle fast. So that's probably not it. Okay? But, you know, and they take the manifold off and there's oil running down where the gaskets go. And they say, well, the manifold's leaking. Well, you know, there's so much oil in that when it's idling and stuff, it's going up in the manifold. There's oil everywhere. But most of the time, it's it's the way it was honed, you know, it's not the rings, it's not the quality of the rings, you know, it's, it's the way it was honed, and most of the time there's some problem there, um, and a lot of times it might be finished too fine, or it doesn't have the valleys like you need or something, but I know that if on any of that stuff, if you hone it with, uh, like if it's been honed too far with a fine stone, like if you mm-hmm. hone the last five thousandths out of it, Or three thousandths out of it with a really fine stone, I'd say you'd be in big trouble. Yeah, you know, and it'll look great, huh? Yeah, there's no valley left by
1: then, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and that you also see that's Keith Jones' big thing too is the you know the guys rebuild these motors and they after a couple years a lot of times they just keep they hone them a little bit and they take by they hone a little bit more and they never go back and start over and you know all of a sudden all those valleys are gone because all you've done is hone it with a fine stone and um eventually it'll catch up to you and you'll be in trouble you know and the harder the sleeve is i think the worse it is you know if it was a if it was a 283 block and some super stock car that was a 1964 or something you know a chevy you might be able to get by with it because i think the iron's so soft that it might forgive you but um yeah that's what we've seen is this if you do the finish wrong and it's a little bit on the fine side or it has no valleys uh it it might run oily you know and
1: uh other the, consideration about the having the valley and being too smooth we've i see quite a bit and i'm not sure how much experience you have between gasoline and methanol is that the methanol engines really need more valley you know there's just so much okay. more coming in, it's like a sprint car motor that's in, in, injected uh, methanol. Yeah. You have to have uh, a good amount of valley to hold enough oil to offset the amount of fuel that's coming in. Otherwise you'll just kill the rings and you, and you know, okay. watch the board and everything's bad.
2: Okay. Then the, the other mistake that, and I'm still going off a of John's question. Um, and this is, we all do this, uh, but it's a huge, problem with rings and pistons uh, and that is uh motor sits for any length of time and you crank it up if it doesn't have stainless headers on it it sucks all that rust up into the rings that come out of the headers and yeah. not too many people think about that but i can guarantee you if you have a if you have an engine that's sitting in the garage over the winter and it's been six months since you cranked it and it's got mild steel headers on it i absolutely guarantee you there'll be get there'll be rust on the bottom of the throttle blades of the carburetor when you crank it up. It'll be that bad. Because you know what it looks like when you grab an old header and go to put it on, you tap the collector on the floor, there's a big ring on the floor where all the rust came out of it, you know? So, you know, and, and not everybody, I and mean, a lot of our dyno headers, they're not stainless because they're all homemade stuff we we get here. And, you know, we, we, we might have an FE header or something that we made ourselves that we dyno twice a year. When we get those things out, we have to tap on the floor and blow them out real good with air hose. There'll be so much rust coming out of it, you won't believe it. But w- whenever you crank an engine up, especially a new one, you don't want to beat on it, that thing four or 5,000, the instant it cranks, you know? So it, it fires up to life and all those pulses are going back and forth and it'll vacuum all the rust all the way through the cylinders. It'll go up into the manifold and it'll be bouncing around in there. And we, we can we can pretty well tell an engine when we look at it when it's coming a used motor, we can tell if it had stainless headers or mild steel headers by looking at the bores. It's nice, huge. Great insight. They'll they'll be scratched up. Yep. You know, and it'll eventually be gone, but the scratches won't be gone. Right. So yeah, I mean
1: done.
2: um and it it's a huge it's huge. You just wouldn't believe how huge it is, that rust that goes up in there. And people don't realize that 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 when you crank one up and it's idle and as long as it's got camshaft in it that's bigger than a streetcar. You know, once it gets to certain degrees, it just vacuums everything out of the headers all the way through, all the way up to the carburetor when it's idling.
0: That's bad. And then I just have one other uh, kind of general question. And we have a lot of very knowledgeable people in the room with us, race engine builders. So when it comes to new developments in piston rings that maybe not everybody in our audience right now is aware of, we're talking kind of the cutting edge what should they know about piston rings right now recent developments that maybe they're not aware of is something that comes to mind
1: well um, the biggest thing I I can think of you know people typically think of about total seal as a you know gapless rings and obviously that was you know 52 years ago Joe Moriarty senior that's how he founded the company but today we make way more than gapless piston rings Um, the new gas-ported piston rings really are pretty special. You know, gas porting is not new. I, I, I think everybody that's probably on here right now is you know no, uh, understands what gas porting is and know that it's been around since the 70s. Uh, the earliest person I can get anybody to tell me did it first was Grumpy Jenkins, is what we keep hearing, is that Grumpy was doing it, you know, in the early 70s. And those were vertical gas ports. And then over time, you know, there's certain issues with having a vertical gas port, especially with with gasoline and and carbon buildup. And then people got on to doing uh, lateral gas ports. And obviously, lateral lateral gas ports have been very common for a long time, been used in NASCAR and a lot of endurance racing engines. really helps, you know, provide better ring seal because you're using that gas pressure above the piston to assist the ring seal. You're getting it behind the gr- the ring to push it out that allows a lower tension ring to seal more effectively when it, when it needs to. So it holds that pressure. The idea of the gas ported ring is still fairly new. It's only a few years old. We've been doing it for some teams for a little while under uh, NDAs where we couldn't talk about it. Now we're a little more open with it. And we did some testing. Um, here during the, the shutdown, when we really couldn't do much of anything else. We really got to do in some head-to-head comparison where we were able to take gas-ported pistons, non-gas-ported pistons, with the same ring combination. So we ran a gas-ported piston with a diamond finish ring. Then we ran a non-gas-ported piston with a diamond finish gas-ported ring. So the only variable was the location of the gas port. And in doing that, we actually saw a pretty interesting phenomenon in terms of, you know, normally as an engine increases in RPM, you'll see the blow by go up, you know, or vacuum decrease uh, over RPM. With this uh, combination of moving the gas port to the ring, it was flat. Like it, it didn't care what RPM the engine was. The blowbog just stayed constant and very steady. As a result, we saw an increase in peak horsepower and average horsepower over the operating range of the test due to that. So really, I'd say the most you know current innovation in ring technology really is just something that's kind of old. You're taking the idea of a gas port, but the new trick is just the location of the gas port. Get it out of the piston, put it into the ring and that can give you a a good opportunity to to find a little more horsepower and really doesn't cost you any extra money because you're just moving the location of the gas port.
2: Well, I'll add a little bit to that. It's just, and it took me a while to kind of think about this and figure it out, but as far as a gas ported ring goes, you know, you might wonder, well, well, why, you know, why is it a big deal? Well, on you know, a passenger car, or there's a certain number there ring groove clearance. It's probably about two thousandths or so. If you've got two or three thousandths ring groove clearance, the gas force don't make any difference at all, because it's already got the the pressure going behind it. Okay, and then um, when you when you close the ring groove clearance up to a thousandth or less, then there's not enough room for the gas to get behind the ring. And I can tell you absolute for a fact because if you've got like 1,000th groove clearance on a big engine and they forgot to gas port the pistons and nobody noticed that you put it together, it will be just fine until you go wide open with it. And the minute you go wide open, it'll try and blow the pan off it. There'll be so much blow by. So, you know, that 1,000th of groove clearance or two would make all the difference. It'd make a 150 horse difference or so. Because it loaded the ring, because the gas port, the gas does get behind it. So back when Jenkins started doing that, and and I think Linkenfeld or someone started working on it. You know, they wanted the gas ports because they closed the ring groove clearance up. And you know, and this is one of the things that I just never understood until a few years ago at the at the AETC conference. Somebody mentioned one of the one of the piston guys from Wysco mentioned it that. Um, you get ring flutter from a heavier ring or more groove clearance. I'm thinking, well, that's just some number. That's just some name they came up with. What does that mean? Well, what it means is on the compression stroke, the ring's got weight to it. Okay. It's got inertia. Okay. When that thing changes direction, uh, the compression stroke, the, the ring goes up enough that it uncovers the bottom of the land and it loses all its seal there. So if you've got two or three thousandths ring groove clearance and you turn a real high RPM at the end of the RPM range, all of a sudden that ring weighs 40 pounds instead of an ounce or half an ounce. And it keeps going up when the piston starts going back down and there goes a big big blast of compression underneath it. And I only realized that like two years ago, but... (laughs) because I've heard that name before, but I didn't really under, I never thought about it. You know, we also, we know for a fact that our big engines, you know, with a four and three quarter stroke or five and three quarter stroke, I mean, and 8,500 RPM, those things have a tremendous amount of weight to the parts when they're changing direction. So, and and what we saw was with a round wire lock in the pinhole, the round wire lock would bounce up and down and it'd eventually come out. Well, the reason it bounced up and down was it had more weight, to it than the spring load it had and I think that that lock weighed 32 pounds when it was changing direction and it only had you know five pounds or something holding it in so it would bounce and it would always go up because the 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 wire lock groove at the bottom of the piston was all beat to death not at the top you know so you know what it's doing well the Mm -hmm. piston ring does the same thing you know so it's bouncing up and down in there so the way to keep the one thing that helps that is the narrower ring that doesn't weigh as much, right. you know? Okay. Then the other thing that helps it is uh, close groove clearance, but with cro- close groove clearance to, to kind of hold it in place and keep it, keep it happy there and behaving, you don't have the pressure to get behind it, to push it out. So, you, gotta so, gas- you know, one way or another, you have to get pressure behind it, you know? So it's a lateral gas port top gas porter that you know gas port in the ring one of those three it's got to have something you know so all that's a, all that's a big deal and it's uh, the higher rpm you see the probably the bigger deal it is but yeah, exactly but, but that weight like and, i said and all is
1: higher the rpm even like you said with the the big motor stuff and you're getting into these really big strokes you're getting such high piston velocities. Oh, it's, it's that, more that, than that, any engine. You have crazy piston velocity yeah. on an engine that isn't 10,000 yeah. RPM just because of the stroke.
2: Right. If you figure, I, I don't remember whether it's mean piston speed or whatever, but if you want to start figuring those speeds, there's really about nothing that you ever see in a race engine that's as high as those big engines that turn a lot of RPM. You know, oh, yeah. a Formula One, a 500-inch Pro Stock, none because of the stroke. I forget what it is, eighty-three hundred feet per minute. I don't know. It's it's up there, but the but the force when it's changing direction, on all those little parts, it it multiplies huge, and um, and it, it also goes along with the ring, you know, and then and and the the gas pressure will will seal it. And when the other thing that we see with the thinner rings is that on a thinner ring like O325 or maybe thinner we don't really go much on the big engines we, we're happy with that but the the thinner rings it will it will conform to the bore with the gas pressure behind it whether it's bent or not you know you you can take a ring that you can take off the piston and put in the bore and you look at it and put a light fi- checking fixture in there, you know, with the with f- light underneath it and a little disc and you look around it. it's gonna have probably three high spots and the rest of it, you can see light everywhere, you know? And you say, man, when I fix this, it's gonna be great. And you fix it, it makes the same power. It, it really doesn't seem to hurt it. Uh, and the only way that that's possible is the ring's so so flexible that the gas pressure will seal it no matter what. It'll just push it out. And, you know, we've, we've had one time where we tried, I think I might've told you about this, but we we had a customer that we had, you know, he always had vacuum trouble, a crankcase vacuum after a while. And so we thought, well, we'll try a little thicker ring, but the same ring, just ten thousand thicker. And we we made it like 041 or 042 or something, but it was, a, you know, the same ring, you know, one, 35 maybe uh radial and uh it left here and it was fine and the first time they heard it it stayed hurt you know <laughs> it it wouldn't it so that extra 10 of ring thickness wouldn't let the rings conform to the bore uh and get them back to being you know round and sealed up anymore because it was it was more than the pressure behind it could do yeah okay yeah, but sense. so you know, actually, it's almost by accident. The flimsier rings were made for for weight and for um you know ring drag maybe, and not no not much tension, but th- they had a quality that helped them because they'll forgive you when you hurt one.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that, you know, yes. uh, I'm sure I've told you in the work I did at driven with out at Ron shavers doing oil testing we would do these you know two hour race simulations and we could run you know 10 of them in a week we'd you know yeah. one in the morning one in the afternoon you do 10 of them in a week and you run and run and run the best thing we ever did to make that engine consistent was go to a uh, 110 radial wall 0.7 millimeter diamond finish ring It it made that engine which wasn't very consistent before and you were always having to kind of fight how much it was drifting yeah. and everything to it just is a Swiss watch. It just runs and runs and runs and it'll give you the same number any day of the week, anytime you want to run it. And if you could move the tune here and there. It just it doesn't matter. It just became just impervious to all that. It was that was my first real experience with the thin ring was that engine. And we got into it in kind of a weird way. We did it because we were looking. As I called Keith, I said, "Give me the hardest possible ring combination to break in on a wet sump motor." Because oh. as a you know, trying to develop a break-in oil, I wanted something that was going to be really challenging. That'd be a big chrome
2: ring, probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this was a, he actually did even better than that. We did uh, the titanium nitride, the tin, the tin oh, phase. Yeah. And we did that that small ring uh with you know real tight groove clearance, like you said, we did all that stuff, and it was very sensitive that if you didn't run enough load, which is one of the questions um you know, is it imperative to break in an engine uh with load, that was a real key thing that if you ran that ring with a like a diesel style oil, and let's say you ran it at like five to ten percent load. Forget it, it's oil, it wouldn't seat in. But if you ran it at like 15% load, and then ran it with a real breaking oil, with a low detergent breaking oil, seat right up, porch as dry as they can be and, and ran great. So we found it was, it ended up being right in terms of being a sensitive combination where you could discern not only your lube, but also your procedure of how you were breaking it in and make it work or make it not work. So it actually worked out pretty good. What other questions me, we got there?
0: Go, so go ahead and grab some questions off the, the chat list. I I know you're looking at the chat list as well. So just yep. go ahead and through those and, and we'll answer some questions here.
1: All right, let me flip down here and see what we have. Uh, okay, so one one guy asked, this is Hank Coburn, asked if the uh, gas-ported ring would work well in a sprint car or boosted application. Yes. <laughs> already got some guys running them in, in, in sprint car applications. And like John was saying, in a boosted application, the biggest key there is you've got to check your, with your piston guy. If you're running a lot of uh, vertical clearance in the groove already with the ring, then it doesn't really give you a lot of extra benefit because uh, you already have that big gap and it can allow the gas pressure to get behind it but to control the ring better you can run that tighter groove clearance um that engine at shavers we actually ran uh john we were running seven tenths vertical clearance so seven tenths of a thousand uh vertical clearance i know some guys in the nascar stuff they're down to two to three tenths of a thousandth. Now of course are yeah. preheating the water preheating the oil There's a lot of things that allow them to run that tighter clearance that you couldn't do normally. But if you do tighten that clearance up, then even on a boosted application, the gas port is is, is a good idea to do. Let's just flip down here some more and see what else. Uh, This is any advantage running a thinner thinner than a 16th top for an NA engine running less than uh, 7,000 RPM, Uh, Yeah, that 100% from an 043 ring to that 0.7 millimeter ring on that small black Chevy, which is, you know, 450 horsepower motor, that change from an 043 to a 0.7 was 22 horsepower. Going from 043 to 0.9 was worth around like, 11 10 to 11 and then going from the 0.9 to the 0.7 diamond finish so you kind of had two things going there the diamond finishing helps as well as going to the thinner that extra combo gave it another yeah 10 to 11 so it's a solid 20 to 22 horsepower uh peak just going from an 043 to a 0.7 and that's from an 043 molly style ring to a diamond finish ring. So you got a couple of variables there, not just the um, thinner ring, but also the smoother, flatter ring that can you know, seals to the ring groove better. Because that's, like you're yeah. saying, it's all about getting the the piston ring to seal to the groove. That's that highest pressure. That's where you got to get the good ring seal.
2: That That bottom of that ring, the top ring, like you're talking with that finish, uh, as long as the pistons are, and today's pistons are really finished. Good. You know, the, the equipment that they use, but that, that, that's probably the single most important sealant surface in the whole motor more than the bore to the piston is the oh, yeah. bottom of the, is the bottom of the top ring and that top of the groove, uh, that, that land that it sits on. If that thing's got any kind of, you know, wear to it or tape or whatever, or the rings not real smooth on the bottom of it, it, uh, it, actually it probably does two things it doesn't load the ring as hard because some of that escapes from behind it and then the combustion pressure won't it nothing it'll lose it just won't be as good
1: right uh one of the questions over here is how thin can the gas ported ring be we can do down to 0.6 millimeter um on the gas ported ring and we can go as high as a 564th, So that's one thing you can do is that if you have a a stock piston or a shelf style piston that doesn't have a lot of vertical clearance in it, and you want to boot uh, upgrade it, you can do uh, a gas port uh, gas ported ring on on that and still be able to get some of that extra sealing benefit. That is not always a bad thing. Let's see what else. Oh, question or comment question uh, from Damian about um profilometers that yeah it's profilometers are a great tool to have it's like you were saying earlier john about the different materials the different uh stones and how you hone if you don't have a profilometer you're you're just you're guessing you don't you you're don't
2: kind of guessing but i would say though that we we learned enough from using it that we don't use it always uh because we kind of know that if we hone it to you know, a certain size with this stone, and, you know, and then you you do two strokes with this stone or whatever, and a couple more with this. Usually, you'll you'll be it'll it'll repeat fairly well if your process stays the same. But it's it, uh, it's really interesting to see other stuff that comes in. You know, you get down below where the ring groove where the rings ever touched. Right. and start yeah. checking it out and seeing what somebody else did. Yeah,
1: exactly. exactly. Yeah.
2: Or, You'll or know something. that's where it started. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's it's a tool that you really do need. And uh, I think it's it's uh, made some heroes out of a lot of people, I would guess, that were probably making mistakes before.
1: Well, yeah, like I said, it, it, without, without having it, you don't really know what your process is yielding. It's a great inspection. Not so tool. much. You can't really look add it
2: too much until because you can't really see the you can feel it with your fingernail or something but you can't tell about the valleys too much and uh-huh. the, the you know of all the stuff maybe the valleys to me might be the most important but um
1: uh, let me here reading here what can be done to help finish the ring help finish the ring and piston to improve combustion sealing well the yeah on the piston itself, if you can get by without having to anodize the ring lands, it, it's better. When you when you hard anodize the ring lands, it, it does make it less likely to um, to seize, you know, to to scuff, you know, micro weld in there. But the trick is when you when they do that, it makes it rougher. So now you get more blow by. Uh, we saw that in the NASCAR stuff that. You know the piston companies today can cut those ring grooves really smooth and really flat, and if you can get by without anodizing it, then you added the diamond finish ring, which is you know lapped very smooth top and bottom. Back to what you said, that's that most important area of seal. You can get a really good seal, um, but if you if you don't have, if you've got an anodized grooves then it, you're going to lose a little bit, but that, I think there's some things that are, people are doing. Um, they're getting better with some of the coatings and things uh, to help that. Another thing too is the amount of uh, rock in the piston, the piston to wall clearance. You know, the uh, you know the more piston to wall clearance, the more rock there's going to be, and that can affect how the ring can tilt and unload itself. Um, I'm not sure, John, if you've messed with the... Um, line-to-line coating much. We've heard nothing but good things. My, personally, yeah. myself, I've not used it. I really want to on some of the two-stroke stuff me and dad are doing, but I've heard really good things about the line-to-line and how it allows that piston to kind of fit itself so that it sits more stable in the bore.
2: I, I think it's, I mean, we use it on some stuff. Mm. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not for everybody just because it adds to the expense you know it's not cheap but it is good and uh, we're kind of sneaking up on it i mean i've heard of people using zero pistol wall with it but we don't have the nerve to do that um maybe at some point um, but a lot of a lot of people are using it with good luck uh, it's good company
1: yeah uh a couple of questions i've seen here about uh ring tension now i know there's a couple you know some guys have the fish scale and there's some things that people to, to do to you know, you know pulling the ring and measuring drag on the ring. One thing to note about the numbers you may achieve doing that versus say numbers that you would get from say Hastings or, or from us at Total Seal or somebody else in terms of what ring tension is that as a piston ring manufacturer, we don't pull the ring to test tension. We actually have a gauge that it sits in and actually measures the lateral tension in the bore essentially. So that's a completely different reading than the friction reading you get from a pull. So just know that that's apples and oranges. Those numbers um, don't add up. I know one thing we hear a lot, and I'm not sure how much nitrous stuff you do John, but Nope. <laughs> when you get into the nitrous stuff, it, you better have a lot of ring tension because you need really good oil control. <laughs> uh, Otherwise, yeah. bad things happen quickly.
2: Yeah, we we actually don't. We we do some boosted things, you know, different kinds of engines, um, and, and those are more in the marine. Uh, but we've kind of resisted the nitrous pro pro mod type stuff, and we don't really do any of it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not a big fan of pressure vessels. <laughs> really.
1: Well, if you think about it, when you're when you're spraying nitrous in, in an engine, be it a gasoline motor or even a, a methanol EA five combination, you, you essentially you have two different fuels. You yeah. have a, a liquid fuel and a gaseous fuel. Um that it's you know, gasoline it makes it gasoline pretty interesting compared to say you know, when you run nitrous with it, is, you know, gasoline is a blend of different length carbon mo- hydrocarbons. So, you know, we talked about octane. Octane, you know, is a eight carbon uh, molecule, but gasoline is a blend that will have some shorter and some longer. And that's why there's a distillation curve of gasoline, that it all doesn't evaporate at the exact same temperature. You know, we all think about light ends. You can smell that, but you're, you're, so you're smelling fuel evaporate, but you still see fuel. Well, why is that? Well, it's because it's a blend. Whereas, say, methanol, it's a single molecule. So they behave differently. There's not a distillation curve for methanol. It's a distillation temperature. There's no evaporation, 100% evaporation. And when you're talking about nitrous, again, single molecule, single evaporation point. Um, those are some variables to throw in there when you're when you're thinking about you know tuning and how they work and and that that's just one of those, I'm again chemistry guy, I love it, it's, it's fun and interesting to me.
0: Okay you know uh, Lake and John uh, we kind of wanted to devote an hour to this and then wrap it up and we could probably go for days uh, talking about this but I want to be respectful of your time and, and everybody's time in the audience. So uh, I'd like to kind of wrap this up. And then, Lake, if people have additional questions, we didn't answer them all. Could could they just contact you with questions?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, feel feel free to contact us. You know, we've got three guys sitting there in Phoenix, Arizona right now that have combined between those three almost 100 years of racing and engine building piston ring experience, you know, Bobby, Kevin, and Keith Jones are just, they're veterans of this. They've been doing this. They've forgotten more about piston rings than I'll probably ever know. So I would suggest anybody, if you're working on an application and you've got some detailed questions, which I know we didn't get to everybody's questions, uh, feel free to pick up the phone, call those guys, 623-587-7400. And if you lay out your details, they can help you out pretty good. Or you can feel free... Uh, you know, send me an email. My email is lake lake@totalseal.com. I'm happy to help as well. You know, we, we want to be a, a resource to the industry. You know, just like kind of we were with the oil. If there is an application and we don't have the right answer for it, we'll, we'll tell you that. We don't. We don't care. I mean, it's not like we're just trying to sell you these kind of piston rings only. It, the idea is that if you can define the needs of the application. And then bring the right products, the right process to the application, you're gonna get the results you're after. And that makes everybody happy and keeps people in the industry. You know, just a real quick side note um at the karting races past weekend, you know, my guy my dad was talking to a guy, and these old carts have centrifugal clutches in them. And in the old days, Those clutches were just the bane of everyone's existence. You could get your carburetor tuned up. You get everything right. But that clutch was just going to fight you and fight you and fight you. And without fail, the clutch was going to lay down when you're leading the race. You're going to pass the guy is when the clutch would lay down. And one of the first things I did when I came back to doing some racing with my dad was I'm like, wait, there's oil in that clutch by God, I'm going to, there's something, we can make this better. And we worked on developed an oil that um, we actually sell through ATI um, to make those clutches work. And the guys were like, man, I wish we had this back in the 70s and 80s. More people would have stayed in carding if they hadn't fought the clutch. <laughs> the, 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 that problem is what drove people away into something else. And that's that same lesson here is, we don't want people not tuning in, messing with engines. We want everybody that's got any itch for horsepower, get in that engine, go to the junkyard, buy an LS motor, buy you something, and put a turbo on it, go crazy, have fun, make some power. But let's help people overcome the common obstacles that way, they don't get frustrated, throw their hands up, and say, "I'm done. Screw this. I'm gonna go do something else." You know, we want people racing. We want people making horsepower and having fun, and we, we're here to help.
0: Very good, and John. Before we leave, anything you want to add?
2: Well, I'm. I'm just uh, happy. This is my first. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm about two generations behind on the technology here, so we were just. We were actually lucky to get the computer up and get it to work, and, and uh, this is kind of like, we were talking yesterday, it's like going back to the Jetsons cartoons we watched when we were kids, you know? They had all the, all the, the TV screens where the people were talking to each other, you know, we're almost to the point where that cartoon is, uh, is today, you know? But uh, I'm, I'm just glad that we could do this from our confines of our shop and not have to go somewhere.
1: Yeah, modern technology is pretty neat in some ways.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you for your time. Thank you for so frankly sharing your expertise, John. Thank you, Link, for helping us organize all this and spread the message that we were going to do this. We got a good uh, packed house, so that was great. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll send you an email with a link to the video if you want to share it with anybody. And we'll give you a, a password, too, so you have uh, easy access to EPAR Trade. All okay. right. So uh, thank you all very much. This has been wonderful. And uh, we'll do it again.
1: Thanks, everybody, for attending. We appreciate it. All
0: right. See you all. All right. <laughs> bye.